0: Welcome to an encouraging message from Pastor Kenneth Bent, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. So what I wanna talk to you tonight about is the power of the cross, the power of the cross. And essentially what I mean by that is the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and I want to start in 1 John, and uh, this is not going to come up on your screen, but I'm going to start in 1 John where it says, "'That which was from the beginning, "'which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, "'which we have looked upon and touched with our hands,' And we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. Amen. So John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was fully God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And then verse 18 tells us, No one has seen God. The only one himself God, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. The Word made flesh, who is God, has fully exegeted him. And what I mean by that is that the Word who was God, who was the Son of God, he became flesh and he fully declared who God was. The Greek means he fully exegeted, he fully explained who God was. He was the full and complete revelation of the invisible God. He was our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, it says the message of the cross is foolishness to these who are perishing, but it is to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. The preaching of the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We should not be ashamed of the message of the gospel of Christ. And that's a lot of what I'm gonna talk to you about tonight. You say, well, it's simple, I understand the gospel. But we're gonna look at it, I, I hope, to give us a more powerful understanding of what the cross is all about. Romans 1:16. for I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the qualifier. You must believe. God's salvation through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross is enough to forgive the entire world throughout all human history of their sins, but it only actually applies to those who believe it. He is the Savior of the whole world, but especially or only to those who believe. Amen. And so we go on, and he says, for the righteousness of God is revealed... In the gospel, from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous by faith will live. And then it goes on and says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. The theme of chapter one in Romans is that God has made himself known. We understand by creation God's eternal power and deity. That is revealed to all men in what we call common grace. All men understand that God is, if they will just consider it for a moment, they look at the order and the beauty of creation and if they will open their hearts up, they will know that there is an eternal God who made the world and the universe we live in. And yet the Bible says that unrighteousness and ungodliness of mankind suppresses, pushes down the truth of God's revelatory power through the gospel. And so we have got to understand that when we believe In the gospel, in the good news, that then we are delivered from our unrighteousness and it's the power of God to save us. We are in a lost state without Jesus on our way to experiencing the eternal wrath of God and yet God provides a beautiful way in that by faith, my faith in Jesus Christ will bring me deliverance from the wrath of God. Amen. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the simple message of the gospel. A lot of people say, well, it's too, there, it's too easy. The work's already done for us. Yes, because none of our righteousness can avail the righteousness of God. We cannot climb our way to, to heaven on the basis of our own righteousness. And so God himself comes to save us. Amen? He comes to save us. Bless his holy name. I am so blessed. So a commonly used teaching or preaching about the message of the gospel, which the word means good news. And so we should be, have a smile on our face when we tell people about Jesus, all right? Because it's good news, right? Right? But a way to look at it is very often presented in three ways. One, when we believe the gospel, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. In other words, the penalty of sin is that we deserve deserve hell and are under the wrath of God. Then secondly, we are also delivered from the power of sin. Penalty, power, We are set free from bondage to sin's power and no longer slaves of sin, but now free to live for Christ in righteousness. And then thirdly, we are ultimately going to be delivered from the presence of sin. Everybody say presence. We shall spend eternity in the presence of God and sin will be no more. Christ delivers us from the penalty, the power, And the presence of sin, sin no longer has power over you. You are free from sin if you are the Lord's. And sometimes we live below our privileges. Amen. So then I ask the question what is the gospel? Well, we've already read that Paul states the gospel is power for salvation to all who believe, and the gospel involves the preaching of the cross, which the Bible says, Paul said, to the Corinthians, is foolishness. It appears like a crazy story. But that crazy story saved my life. That crazy story changed me. My parents took me when I was 10 years old to a large crusade that was held by a a Billy Graham associate evangelist. And as he was preaching the gospel, I was sitting there beside my parents in this large uh, arena. And I listened to the preaching of the gospel. And then I heard the invitation for everyone who wanted to respond to that invitation to come down and to receive Christ. And the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, go. And so I turned to my parents and I said, at 10 years old, I said, can we go down there? And of course, my parents, in their early days, had been been born again, had given their lives to Christ, godly people, and they said yes. So not knowing really what was going to happen, I walked down the front with my parents And a a man met us there, and he said, what do you want? And I said, I want to pray, receive Jesus. And so he led me in the sinner's prayer, and my, my, my sins were washed away. I wept, and I wept, and I wept. And my life was changed from that moment on, even at the age of 10. Never discount that Jesus can touch kids with the power of his love. And it will change our lives forever. I didn't always live for God when I turned into my teenage years. I went crazy for several years. But I came back to Jesus. As I told you some time ago in the height of the Jesus movement in our era, in our area, where a thousand hippies, a thousand young people in one church we we're, were born again, accepted Jesus, and were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit in one church in, the, in a period of about two months. A massive move of God hit our city, and that wasn't the only church that was touched. But First Corinthians 15, 1 to 10, Paul says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you so that, that you received and on which you stand and by which you are being saved, because salvation is not just for today. We are are saved, right? We are being saved, and we shall be saved. We call this the three tenses of salvation. We are saved now because of faith in Christ, if you believe in him. You are being saved, you're being transformed, made into his image, saying goodbye to the old life of sin and being changed, and that ultimately we shall be saved when we see him face to face. Amen? But we are being saved if you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, he says, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas, Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have Fallen asleep, the vernacular of the New Testament for death. Then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, and then to all the disciples, all the apostles, last of all, as though to one born at the wrong time he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, those who are sent out to preach the gospel by the Lord, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me had not been in vain, but in fact I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. God's grace is an an energizing force, right? Right? We're saved by His grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. You'll often hear that acrostic or that acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense, or, or, you know, the, the free love of God given to us through Christ. The gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection, it's about the cross the burial of Christ, and his resurrection, which we just celebrated again. The gospel means good news. And one of the aspects of the meaning of this word was it was it was the message used to announce, to proclaim the ascension of a new king to his throne, and included declarations about what the new king, the new Lord, the new Caesar, was going to accomplish as he took his place of leadership. The gospel is about sin. Christ died for our sins. If you refuse to believe that you have sinned and are a sinner or were a sinner, then you're missing out on the heart of the gospel. You must acknowledge your own sinful nature. So the apostolic preaching of the cross included Warnings of impending judgment and the idea that all men are guilty before a holy God. As many have said in recent years, we have de-godded God and made ourselves or other things God in His place. We are at heart, apart from Christ, idolaters. We worship either ourselves our own thinking, our own philosophies, our own judgments, or other people, or celebrity, or money, or fame, or fortune. We worship, we are idolaters until we come to Christ. As D.A. Carson says, but the same God who stands over us in wrath and judgment is the same God who stands and offers us mercy and forgiveness through Jesus John Stott, the great scholar-preacher in England who who died a few years ago, said he himself gave, talking about God, he himself, God himself, gave himself to save us from himself. What that means is that God's wrath is poured out upon all who do not believe, because he is a righteous and a holy God, and he cannot allow sin in his presence. And so in one sense, God is a wrathful God who will judge the unbeliever. But in the other sense, at the same time, his mercy and love reaches out to every person through Christ. Because he himself, God himself, Jesus who was God in the flesh, came and gave himself to save all of us from himself. It's a very powerful statement and it's good for us to meditate on things like this. So the gospel is a time-space event. A real person was crucified, buried, and rose again and that was witnessed by many others. It's a time-space event. It's just not a philosophy in the in the ether somewhere. The gospel also is about the scripture. The Old Testament specifically. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I according, Jesus died according to the Scripture, which is singular in Greek, so it's like a, a collective noun, referring to essentially all the Old Testament, or perhaps Isaiah 53, where the Messiah is clearly stated to, to give himself for our iniquities, was punished for our transgressions. Or perhaps uh, Psalm 16 about the resurrection, or perhaps Psalm 22, which illustrates the idea of the Messiah dying. The gospel is about deliverance from sin through believing. It's good to be delivered from sin. Amen? Aren't you glad? And if you're struggling, man, get some prayer. Get some more of the word in you. Let us love you through your struggle and help you to a new day, amen? Amen. Through the gospel, we learn that we have offended God with our sin. For example, the story of David in the Old Testament is very instructive in this regard. Although David sinned against Bathsheba and had her husband... Uriah killed, and then as king, he actually sinned against his whole nation. Ultimately, in Psalm 51, 4, David states, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. So in some sense, the gospel is the acknowledgement of our sin and its deliverance, and then we acknowledge before God that, Actually, okay, I may have sinned against you. I may have sinned against my loved ones. I may have sinned against myself. But ultimately, I've, we've all sinned against God. And He's the one that we need to be reconciled to first. The gospel is also about man's eternal destiny. As I said, we have been saved. We are being saved. We shall be saved. We're delivered from the penalty, the power, and ultimately, in eternity, the presence of sin. All of humankind is bound for one or two ultimate destinations. Will God recognize us? Boy, I heard the Lord say this to me um, last week. Will God recognize us as we stand before him on the last day? Think about that. If we're in Jesus, of course he will. It boils down to, I want God to recognize me. I don't want him to say to me on the last day, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. I want God to recognize me. How will he recognize me? How will he accept me? It's because I'm in Jesus. Because of Jesus' blood that was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. To Cornelius' household in Acts 10, Peter preached and warned them that God God is is the judge of the living and the dead. He communicated the essentials of the gospel. He said Jesus healed the oppressed. He was anointed by the Spirit. He was crucified. He rose again. And anyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In Acts 17, Paul's talking to pagan philosophers in Athens about a sovereign God who made everything. This is how you talk to people who don't know anything about Christianity, in which we have a lot of people in America who really don't know the gospel, who have never been brought up in church, who have only been brought up in pagan households with no access to the gospel, no access you know, in their family, no witness of Jesus in their family. They have no idea what's going on. How do you witness to a new age or to, to the, the, the new generations who, who just want to, that, that everything goes and they, they, they want to define who they are and they have no reference to that they are made in the divine image of God and they are responsible. They just want to live the way they want to live how do you witness to somebody like that, like Paul in Acts 17? You tell them of the story about a sovereign God who made everything, who commands everybody to repent, and that he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world through Jesus who rose from the dead, and that God commands everybody to repent for their sin and idolatry. And they said, well, you know, they they listened to him up until the time he mentioned the resurrection. Acts 24, but some did believe. Acts 24, Felix heard Paul speak about faith in Jesus the Messiah, and part of that speech included Paul talking about righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment. And when that happened, Felix becomes frightened, this king, becomes frightened when Paul starts talking about you, the, the need for righteousness, the need for self-control, the need to be right with God because there is coming a judgment. Jesus states in John that the Holy Spirit would come and speak of righteousness, and he would reveal things to come. He would talk about And and judgment is is full in the Scripture, 2 Thessalonians. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. We should not shy away from these Scriptures. If you're a believer, don't be afraid to talk to people about impending judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. This is part of the gospel preaching. This is part of the the essence of the cross. You know, why did Jesus die for me? Well, because he loves you. Well, yes, absolutely, God so loved. In this manner, God loved the world, right? That he gave his his unique son so that the sins of man could be forgiven. Yes, of course, it is. All of this is motivated by God's love but why should I believe in Jesus? I I don't know, you know, because I think, you know, everything's just materialist and I'm just going to die and and just go away to dust. You know, nothing happens. There's no soul in man. We have to make people aware that there is an afterlife and there is a judgment. And we have to talk to them. We have to say, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's what we call in New Testament studies the vice list, a vice list, a list of vices. But here's the good news. The very next verse says, such were some of you. You used to be this and this and this and this and and the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking to the Corinthians. You know, that city was a, a port city and was full of bad people. Bad practices among the Greeks. But he says, such were some of you. You used to be like that. See, there's hope in the gospel, right? You used to, and this is the way we need to treat one another. When somebody comes in and they come from a, a very difficult, a hard life, a, they've been hard on themselves, they've been ranked sinners, they're going down to the bar every night, you know, and they don't know how to live. They're adulterers, fornicators, I mean, prostitutes, you know. What should we be? Should we just be like, oh, 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 why did they they come to my church? Maybe you'd be more comfortable going down the road. We need to love people. Who cares what you used to be? Who cares? Who cares what you are now? God loves you so much, He wants to change you. He wants to take you from where you're at to a brand new life. We ought to love people. God loves them, warts and all. He loves me. We ought to love people. Such were some of you. The the gospel is discipleship, and I've got to quit. It carries with it the responsibility to disciple the next generation. Paul says, the things that I received, I'm giving to you. And and the word receive there means he received a an established body of truth and knowledge that was recognized with apostolic authority. It was a gospel of apostolic tradition to pass on to the next generation. What I received, I give to you. When, when Peter denied Jesus three times, when Peter in the garden falls asleep, when, when he says, oh, there's no way, there's no way you're supposed to die, there's no way, and, and by the way, Lord, I, I will never, never, never deny you, and yet he does, and he cuts off the guy's ear, good grief, Peter, and even, I love this, I just dis- sort of like discovered this last week. One of the resurrection appearances when Peter goes up to the empty tomb and him and John run to the tomb, and Peter looks in and the tomb is empty. It says, like, Peter was like bewildered. He couldn't figure out what had happened. And it says he went home. (laughs) Okay, Peter. You know, they didn't believe the testimony of the women who saw the empty tomb and who saw the angels. They came back with a glowing report, but they didn't believe him. So they run to the tomb themselves. They go, oh, well, I don't know. I'm confused. I'm going to go home. It says they didn't believe. But later, Jesus comes to him, finds him. Actually, he's gone fishing. Gives him a whole boatload of fish. He's got a fire made for him, for him and the disciples. And then he recommissions Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, shepherd my lambs. He recommissions him. I don't care if you're not perfect. I don't care if you once loved Jesus and you denied him. If you come back, he will recommission your soul. He'll give you something else to do in his kingdom. He loves you that much. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for that powerful word from Pastor Kenneth Bent. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive many more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.